Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. We're so excited to jump into today's episode, but before we do, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the 4040 Vision podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and today's guest is Professor Silke Maria Weinick, Chair of Comparative Literature and Professor of German Studies and Comparative Literature at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. She is the co-author of a book called City of Champions, A History of Triumph and Defeat in Detroit, and has written several other non-sports-related books as well. So the reason I asked uh, Silka to come on is that I read an article of hers featured on thenation.com about the famous boxer from the 1930s and 40s, Joe Lewis, and the article she wrote was titled, How Racist Car Dealers KO'd Joe Lewis. A never-before-published tranche of letters reveals the white-collar racism that prevented the world's most popular athlete from selling Fords. Upon reading the book or the article, I was taken aback by the blatant racism showed by the other Ford dealership owners and how intertwined it was with the history of Joe Lewis. And I wanted to talk to Professor Silka about it, so I DM'd her on Twitter, and she graciously agreed to come on. This was uh, an incredibly informative conversation about the life and legacy of Joe Lewis, and really the tragedy of how the racism he faced in the U.S. and abroad during his career, before his career, and after his career uh, really shaped his life and legacy. I can't wait for you guys to listen, especially if you're big boxing or history fans, or if you're just interested in the history of social justice and racism in the U.S. Uh, so let's jump right into the podcast. Hi, Silka. Thank you so much for joining us today on the 4040 Vision podcast. How's everything going today? Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, I, I see you're sitting outside in your porch. Are you in, uh, you're just outside Michigan, or sorry, just outside Detroit, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, right on Lake Erie looking at the water. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. Uh, so as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, we're here to talk about Joe Lewis and specifically mm -hmm. some of the um, issues that he faced as he was planning to retire and go into uh, another business venture selling Ford cars. But uh, before we start with that, um, can you take us back to the beginning a little bit and talk about what was it about Joe Lewis that made him, as you mentioned in the article, you know, perhaps not not just the most famous black man on earth, but the most famous athlete on earth? Yeah, and uh, actually, quite possibly the most famous American on earth, um, because in the in the thirties and forties, boxing was the sport, right? It was absolutely dominant, and it was a, a global sport, right? Most American sports aren't global, um, as we know, right? They're pretty provincial affairs, football, baseball, um, but boxing was uh, absolutely central. And uh, Joe Lewis was the longest reigning heavyweight champion ever, and depending on how you count, might still be. There's a little bit of uh, fiddling there. But um, he was not just an amazing boxer. He was also, um, he just meant so much to black America. Um, it, it can't be overstated. Um, there was hardly a, a household without a photograph of Joe Lewis uh, hanging on the kitchen wall, right? Um, Maya Angelou in her, um, in her autobiography, I Know Where the Caged Bird Sings, she has an entire chapter on the fight between Joe Lewis and uh, Canera, the Italian boxer, um, 
which yeah um and joe lewis defeating canera who was like half a foot taller 60 pounds heavier mm -hmm. right it was a really big deal but it was a big deal beyond boxing because these fights were also very heavily racialized um, yeah and then there was the the yeah the other fights against, I believe, Max Schmeling was the name, was uh, the, the German boxer. Can you tell us a little bit about those? I think there was uh, two yeah. fights, right? An initial fight and a rematch? There were two he lost the first one in, in 1936, yeah. I later say he didn't take it very seriously and he didn't train and he had a few drinks the night before. Who knows, right? But yeah, he lost the first one and um, a white supremacist celebrated this, right? Father Coughlin, the kind of central... I'm sorry for the for the noise here. The uh, the Central American fascist uh, was actually very happy that the American had been beaten, um, and so the rematch in 1938 was really loaded, right? I mean, by by then people who wanted to know didn't know what was going on in Germany, um, and where it was likely to lead, um, and so the whole fight was kind of framed as a throwdown between. Um, democracy and Nazism. Mm -hmm. Now, in retrospect, we'd say it was two different two different systems of white supremacy, really, right? Sure. Um, but um, yeah, so and that is probably the fight after which Joe Lewis, for a while, became an all-American hero. Um, he was very, very popular um, across racial divides. I mean, he was never popular with hardcore clan members right but he was about as highly respected as any black man had ever been um in uh, after the max schmilling fight and the fight itself i mean my god two minutes and four seconds right it was absolutely brutal that took schmilling straight to the hospital afterwards and um and lewis lewis said later schmilling was the only one he ever wanted to hurt uh in the ring and that was because it had been so cynically and openly and relentlessly racialized, right? Mm -hmm. So there's endless racial taunting, right? We'll finally prove who's the superior race, blah, 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 which of course is all insane, right? No, no boxing fight can actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do such a thing, right? But that's how, how symbolic um, events work, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Um, and at that time, Lewis was still really controlled by his trainer and his manager. They lived with him, they told him what to say, and more importantly, what not to say, right? They, they kept him really, really tightly controlled, um, to a certain extent for his own good, right? Um, but also because they were afraid of the legacy of Jack Johnson, um, the, the first black heavyweight champion, mm -hmm. yep. uh, who was universally hated, right? Um, and he was hated because he had white wives. He was a shit talker, right? He was uh, he's a very flamboyant man, <laughs> and he was he's a mixed bag to to be to be honest, right? Mm -hmm. um, he's a very violent man, which Joe Lewis was not, right? And so they had created this entire PR strategy for Joe Lewis. It had emerged very early on that this was a once in a century talent, right? They yeah, I, I read about this. This was like their seven commandments for public conduct, right? For his, yeah. his public conduct. Yeah. No gloating, no white women, no shit talking, right? And so on and so on. And uh, there's also really no evidence that this was hard for Lewis to do. 
um, he was a gentle man, right? And this idea that everybody wants white women is a little absurd anyway, right? So you don't necessarily have to tell uh, Lewis to stay away from them. He, he was a late, Joe Lewis was a ladies' man. He uh, never lacked for a female company. I think um, most of these these big time boxers were. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just yeah. part and parcel with the uh, profession. It seems. I think so, but he was there was he was additionally special because he was such a big deal. He was so deeply beloved, right? And so when he uh, when Lewis joined the army in forty one, he kind of moved out from this tight control. Right. And he could finally speak his own mind and also mm-hmm. learn things about the world that had been kind of kept from him. Right? he had been coddled and isolated and um, and he became uh, very active in civil rights. Um, he was really quite instrumental. Um, he had the ear of Roosevelt. Um, his lawyer, Truman Gibson, was a pretty big player in D.C. Um, so he actually got stuff done, right? When when they wouldn't let Jackie Robinson play, um, he he made a phone call. Um, when mm-hmm. in in the UK, he was I mean, he was sent all over the world to right, rally the troops, do good PR, and so on. And so when he was in the UK, he wanted to go to bar, and he found it was out of bounds for Black Americans. Wow, and even in the UK, you know, okay. In the UK, right. And that was exactly his reaction. He's like, I have to put up with this in the US, right? Even though he refused to actually do show fights on a segregated basis. But mm. but I'm not going to put up with this here. And again, made a phone call or maybe send a telegram. And that policy was immediately ended. So he actually had some... Um, he had some sway. He organized a giant benefit for Isaac Woodard, who's kind of the first uh, case of anti-black police brutality that um, became a big deal in 1940s um, America, mm-hmm. actually influenced Truman a great deal. Right. So, I mean, Lewis was famous. He knew everybody. Uh, everybody loved him. Right. So if you wanted to throw a party, people would come. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he was friends with Paul Robeson. Um, uh, he uh, yeah, he had a lot to say. He he tried to advocate for for better housing conditions. He had grown up in Black Bottom in Detroit, which uh, living conditions were absolutely awful. Right. Yeah. This neighborhood was in the hands of slumlords. They didn't fix anything. There were rats everywhere. Things were falling apart. And yeah, and he lo- he lobbied very hard on behalf of of his community. Um, yeah, I, and he had a lot of fun. That, yeah, I was gonna say I I saw some parallels in in his story with Malcolm X's story, where they both you know were born and raised in the South, and then yeah. moved to Detroit, and maybe yeah. not became radicalized in Detroit, but became more um, active in in civil rights and understanding the yeah. the the situation of Black Americans at that time. And of course, you know Malcolm X right. was called Detroit Red and all that. Uh, but yeah. I wanted to talk about so you, you talked well, about Detroit was crucial to Lewis. Yes, I'm yeah, glad you yeah. bring that. Um, and you, I wanted to talk about, you said, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned some of the earlier fights were extremely racialized and, you know, propagandized. Was oh, yeah. he, was he a willing participant or was he, as you said, kind of coddled a little bit by his managers and talked into doing this or was he a I willing think, participant? Yeah. In the Canera fight, 
I don't think he really knew what was going on. This was framed as Mussolini versus Ethiopia, which is already fairly absurd, right? I mean, Joe Louis is an American, not an Ethiopian. Completely absurd. But, <laughs> but yeah, he was uh, he was meant to represent Africa, right, against um, Mussolini's um, invasion of Ethiopia. Um, but I don't think he was at all involved in that. He was she's just there to box, but. The second Schmeling fight, he was very attuned. Um, yeah, and he um, he knew about the Nazis. He had no love for the Nazis. Um, there was a he was he didn't speak a lot in public. He had a speech impediment, um, and back then, when kids had a speech impediment, they were just mocked and beaten. Right, nobody helped them with it. And uh, it made him a little bit um, hesitant to speak, and he was often quite laconic and didn't say much. Drove the press nuts, right? They were constantly trying to get him to say something, but he didn't speak much. But he was asked at some point when he joined the war effort, why are you doing this for a country that treats black Americans so badly? Yeah, and very said, typical question, I think, of, of black right. athletes at the time, right? Yeah, and uh, he said Hitler won't fix that which I think is a really brilliant answer. Very laconic. Very profound, yeah. A very profound um, answer. And he did try to fix what he could fix. He was not um, in the mold of Johnson before him or Ali after him, right, who kind of were very, very vocal about their politics. Well, I'm not sure Johnson had much politics, but he was a he was a, a goader and a shit talker, right? And With Ali his actions, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Lewis had a very different style. And I think that has led to a lot of people framing him as I'm quoting here, right? Giant quotes the good Negro, right? Um, he's been seen as all submissive, um, collaborative with white supremacy. And this is nonsense. It is utter, complete nonsense. For instance, he never had white staff. His lawyer was black, his trainer was black. Um, okay, one of his managers was Jewish, but you know, that that, that wasn't white in the in the thirties and forties, right? Mm -hmm. And this was noted, right? People noticed that. Um, a lot of black athletes were handled by white managers, right? If you think of Jesse Owens, there's an entire film about how the nice white man, you know, helps the, the black athlete. Yeah. Uh, and not Lewis, right? He was absolutely committed to his people, I suppose. Um, I mean, that sounds a little odd, but yeah. Um, so do you think and, that... People knew that. People paid attention to that. Yeah. yeah. Do you think some of the maybe positive reception to Joe Lewis as opposed to Muhammad Ali or Jesse Owens mm -hmm. had something to do with his appearance? The fact that he was... He looked, you know, perhaps biracial. I believe his mother or father was part Native American and he was yeah. more lightened. Do you believe it had something to do with that? Of course. I think colorism is, is absolutely a part of the system of racism. And uh, his, he, was, he was somewhat light-skinned, right? And, and yes, he had partially Native features to the extent that such categories even make sense. And this was openly discussed in the most, <laughs> in the most disgusting ways, right, in the boxing press. Mm -hmm. How he wasn't really black, right? And how very light skinned. And yeah, there was no such cried. thing as like coded language back then. It was all very blatant God, language. People, people told you, people told you what's on their mind. Um, I have some some clips. 
from from the ring from the 30s they're just kind of you know, <laughs> they're kind of rough reading i must say but yes colorism absolutely played a role um it's no no question about it but uh lewis certainly never tried to pass um um, he he was very clear on on being African American. He didn't play up his native heritage. I don't think it was part of his upbringing. Um, I mean, he grew up dirt poor in Alabama um, for the first kind of eight or nine years. So um, he looked back on Alabama with some fondness. He said it was um, Southern racism was different. But he didn't say it wasn't racist. But he said as a kid, mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily feel it. Um, he said, played with the white kids in the hay wagons, and and he said, and they ate so well on the countryside. So when he came to Detroit, first of all, no more playing with the white kids, right? Um, a much, much harsher system and terrible food as far as he was concerned, right? So it was a, it was a hard tradition. Also, I mean, his dad had come to, or his stepdad had come to Detroit for the Ford money, right? For the, the famous Ford wages. And then of course the Great Recession hits, Great Depression hits, and uh, hundreds of thousands of people get laid off, right? So mm -hmm. um, that was, um, but yeah, but he, he started bringing in money very, very soon. Um, once he started fighting, the purses came in. First thing he did with the money was buy his mama house. He's just such a good guy. <laughs> This very typical, you know, athlete story of coming from nothing, and of course, the first person yeah. you take care of is is your mother, which is, oh, is yeah. yeah. He took care of everybody. He was incredibly generous, and there's also kind of reasons to believe people took advantage of that. I mean, he would travel to Europe with like twenty of his closest friends. Um, he helped out everybody. He. Uh, one thing, I, there's so much more I could have gotten into the article, but they made me cut it down by more than a half, which I understand. I'm not complaining. But there's so many cool things about Joe Lewis. For instance, he was an incredibly good horseback rider. Was um, that from his time growing up in Alabama in the country? You know what? I don't know. It might have been because they definitely had had horses there, but I've probably working horses, right? So I don't actually know. But so he um, he bought a horse farm outside of Detroit. Um, because he thought most black people, particularly urban black people, didn't have a chance to ride horses. So everybody's welcome. Just go out, ride some horses on Joe Lewis Farm, right? He's also yeah. a really good golfer. They, they actually desegregated golf for him for one PGA tournament wow. in the early 50s. Yeah. That shows you Very the influence he had, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on that topic of, of you know, urban farmer, urban, um, you know, horse farms, uh, I lived in West Philadelphia for a time. And I'm, I'm oh, sure you've heard of the, yeah, the, the West Philadelphia West Cowboys. Philadelphia. Yeah, the yeah, West Philadelphia absolutely. Urban Cowboys, they have the farm or the stables right in, yeah. you know, the heart of West Philadelphia. Yeah. And you can see them riding around town, um, which Where is quite live? a sight to see. I was on 43rd and Pines on the on the outer, on the outskirts of West Philly, but. Okay, yeah, we were um, before we moved back to California. We were on Fiftieth and Spruce, so we were actually right. maybe a you block like away. Blocks away from me, yeah. Yeah, and we were a block away from the Paul Robeson house, so we had a big oh, plaque no, on the on. I think believe yeah. his house was on Fiftieth uh, and Walnut. I think um, so. Okay. We got to see that quite a bit. Um, so just back to Joe Lewis, so we were talking about his role in uh, World War II and how he was going to yeah. the different bases. Uh, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and what his role was in 
you know, maybe desegregating some things and making life a little easier for the, the black GIs? Um, yeah, first of all, he, he did very quickly say he wasn't going to do fights on a segregated basis, right? He, he wasn't going to um, perform for white audiences exclusively. And that, 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 that worked out. Um, his main job was to rally black soldiers because there was an understandable sense of why, why are we fighting for this country exactly, right? And to sell war bonds, um, which, which he was good at, um, and to stage um, charity fights that raised money for the Navy um, and so on. He, he did a lot of that. Um, he got himself arrested once by refusing to, to wait for the black bus on a base. Um, but because he was such a big deal, they um, he could say things, right? Um, I mean, I'm not sure that he... I mean, Truman integrated the, the, um, the military in 48, I believe. Um, and so that took a long time to prepare. Right, but um, Lewis, Lewis um, lawyer Truman Gibson was involved in that effort. Right, he worked in D.C., um, and so I think people were just incredibly happy to see Lewis. <laughs> I think he was uh, really, really good for morale, um, uh, and yeah, and he worked pretty tirelessly. And he, he wasn't just in the U.S. He was also kind of sent abroad, sent to Europe, and so on. Now he, uh, so but didn't he didn't stop. see any. He didn't see any combat or anything, right? He was exclusively... No, 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 no. Okay. He didn't see any combat. Um, I mean, he was... He's the only black soldier depicted with a rifle. There was a huge taboo on depicting black military with any kind of weapons. But the Joe Lewis poster, he was actually uh, shown holding a rifle. But no, he didn't actually... Use the rifles. <laughs> Irony. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, I just think about the absurdity of that. That what do you? What do all these white Americans think? These black soldiers are doing over there. Um, yeah. So we can talk now about. I think about um, you know the, your article in specific, and uh, I think the the entire premise of, or the, the the article is titled "How Racist Car Dealers KO Joe Lewis." And from my understanding, uh, is that he had plans post retirement to open. A Ford dealership outside of Chicago, and in, that in was Chicago. in Chicago. Okay, so can you tell us about? Because in my other research, after reading your article, there's no mention of this in his wiki I page. It's, I know. You know, you you call it out yourself in the article that it's yeah. there. There's like a passing mention of, oh, you know, he wanted to go into the Ford business, but it didn't work, didn't out. work out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, there's a sentence here, a sentence there in, in some of the biographies, but it is not well known. I mean, to be fair, a lot of famous boxers, business ventures don't work out, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and a lot of Lewis business ventures didn't work out. <laughs> um, he, he had a few things in, in Detroit going on. They, they always went extremely well as long as he was there. But the moment he was gone, it... Uh, did less well but that said i think he was quite serious about um the ford dealership um he had been in touch with henry ford ii himself um brokered again by truman gibson who had a who had a lot of pull right um he had a um a friend in chicago blocked on the name right now who um ran a taxi business and knew a bit about cars 
Um, so this was a fairly advanced idea, right? Um, and so Ford, Ford the second, right, had taken over from old Henry Ford, um, who had become a giant embarrassment, right? Can't have the leading American anti-Semite um, during World War Two. Um, yeah, I was going to say Henry Ford didn't exactly have a, a stellar reputation no. when it came to to race no. relations. I mean, they kind of he got away with it. Sadly, um, I think in part because the big three. Uh, all retooled their manufacturing for the war effort, right? Detroit, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Democracy, and so on. So uh, Ford, the company, was certainly very useful in World War II, right? But yeah, but Ford had been a giant anti-Semite, giant um, anti-union man, right? I mean, Ford was the last um, last factory to unionize. Um, the story of that is absolutely gruesome and brutal, right? He had a the services department whose job was basically to beat up people trying to unionize. Um, but in any case, so Ford, the elder, um, not a good man in my book. And then Ford II was kind of meant to be the more liberal face of Ford, right? More sure. reasonable man, um, kind of try to fix some of that um, bad history of, of Henry Ford. Um and it's kind of interesting. Um, so there's there's an association of black car dealers. Um, and they tell me Ford is still absolutely like that, right? So some kind of white liberals in Dearborn, right, running the place, and then an army of right-wing car dealers. Um, yeah, I was blown away by the statistic that you, you mentioned at the yeah. bottom of the article. It's only 5% percent of Ford dealerships are owned by minorities. That's, that's not, insane. Yeah, yeah right. Yes, and that's all minorities, right? Yeah, no, it's it's about yeah, it's it's absolutely shocking, um, and so so Henry so Henry Ford II was probably open to the idea. I mean, it's hard to tell, right? I only have this one file, um, and mm-hmm. I Ford said they didn't have anything else in the archives that would have um, uh, thrown more light on it. But so what he did is he had his people reach out to regional. Um, to district dealers and regional managers um, to ask them what they thought about giving Joe Lewis a dealership in Chicago. And there are kind of, again, I don't know that the file has all the letters that came back, um, whether it's complete. Um, Nobody, it's impossible to find out. But from the file that a really lovely archivist, Sam Root, um, gave to me at the at the Benson Center. Um, the dealers asked, and the district managers asked, were mostly from the south, southeast, um, mm-hmm. which again is already curious because Chicago is not in the southeast. Right? Um, it's almost like they did it on purpose to get the negative well, reaction. <laughs> and so if, if I knew that they had only asked these guys, I would say definitely. But I have, want to be just a little bit careful because I don't know whether some letters are missing, right? Maybe they wrote to New York. Maybe, sure, you sure. know, who knows? But from the looks of it, there are 32 letters and every single one of them says no. Um and some of them are openly, nastily, very crudely racist, right? So you look at them and you say, okay, local clan, captain, whatever they call them, wizards, sure. right? <laughs> um, and <laughs> that's also what the the, um, the NAMA, the Association of uh, Minority Car Dealers, 
I had one of their guys look at at the file, right? And he also, oh yeah, clan, clan, clan. <laughs> so very blatant. But a lot yeah. Of, yeah, very blatant. Um, it's a white man's business. We don't want any Negroes in it. I would never sit at a table at a dealer conference um, and have a meal with a black man. So just straightforward, right? Um, but there's also a lot of bad conscience, which I, in some ways, found more interesting. Um, a lot of these guys are like, mm, kind of maybe in the future, not now. Um, we probably should consider this at some point. And then there's a kind of constant passing of the buck, right? So the people in Dearborn will tell you, well, it's not that we're opposed, but people in the South, right? And then the mm -hmm. guy in North Carolina said, mm, I'm not a racist, right? But the people in South Carolina, boy, they're, they're racist, right? And then the guy from Northern Alabama says, you know, I'm fine with it. I always wanted black Americans to have all the opportunities. But the people in South Alabama, <laughs> ain't they terrible? And so there's a lot of that going on. And the drumbeat is bad for business, bad for business. Um, they um, are convinced or claim to be convinced that um, GM and Chrysler would make hay of this, that there would be what they call a whisper campaign. Um, they say the dealers would consider it a slap in the face. Um, but mostly business, 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 and also precedent. This would set a bad precedent because if you let one black guy have a dealership, what's going to stop the next black guy, right? So couldn't stop with just Joe Lewis. Um, the one guy who says he might be in favor, that's, that's also a fairly horrendous letter. I wish I could have, oui, sorry, two birds just flew back. Um, I wish I could, could have quoted more. This is one guy who says, well, yeah, maybe we should do this, but you know what? We should do it in New York. Um, and we should do it in New York because there's so many Jews in New York. And the Jews, they don't like Henry Ford. And we could use this as a wedge to turn the black community in New York against the Jewish community in New York. So that's that's the um, the guy most open to the idea. That's his scheme. So the, the file is, I wow. mean, I my jaw was hanging down when I read this. Right? I just couldn't believe it. It was like one after the next is really gruesome. Some try to make... Other arguments, such as, well, he doesn't have experience selling cars, which is fair enough, right? <laughs> sure. Um, but um, they know they're not being asked about Joe Lewis qualifications. They understand the question is, should we let a black dealer in? They completely understand this. There's, there's no ambiguity about it. And they all say no. And a lot of them bring up Truman. Mm hmm we don't think of Truman as much of a civil rights hero these days, right? Um, yeah. um, because, of course, he failed and because he did other shitty things. But um, he actually had a fairly serious civil rights program he was trying to pass, um, banning housing discrimination, employment discrimination, and so on. It failed. I mean, the only thing he got done was kind of desegregate the military. But um, that was the occasion for the Dixiecrats splitting off um, in the South, right? Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was uh, they feel very strongly about this. And they all say, if we give Joe Lewis a dealership, it will be read as us siding with Truman and the other communists. 
So, which of course, also is it's just American discourse, right? Everybody, yeah, um, everybody's a communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, at that time, it's it's easy to to paint everyone with that that left wing yeah. brush, and you know, it's... well, still, right? It's still mm-hmm. the thing. Joe Joe Biden, extreme socialist, and so on. It's always been complete nonsense. Right? Um, but yeah, so there's a very long history of political rhetoric that that goes through right the, the crude racist language people would no longer put in writing um but uh, of course business over social justice um i think that mindset you can still find at budweiser for instance right um yep. very recently <laughs> so, oh, oh no if it's bad for business we got to stop doing it right yeah um, for sure for sure yeah so it's uh yeah, it's 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 gross. Uh, it's very instructive. I mean, I, I was interested in seeing how this kind of, I mean, we know of course forty eight racism, right? That's not a particularly surprising story. Mm-hmm. But I was interested in the minutia, right? How does this work? How do people talk about this, right? Um, do they have misgivings? Do they know better, on some level? And they do know better. Yeah, and um, it's it's interesting because I mean, you mentioned Joe Lewis in the article is one of the most famous Americans, if not the most famous American in the yeah. world. And you would think that, you know, for most businessmen, they would hear, oh, Joe Lewis wants to endorse my product or sell my I product. Know, right? it's like LeBron. <laughs> yeah, you would see one, you know, big, big green dollar signs in front of your eyes. Yeah. But yeah. The, the fact that the, the racism ran so deep that it was yeah. almost, you know, no amount of potential money is worth right. the risk of being perhaps ostracized by the rest of the white community because, you know, they, mm-hmm. they said GM and Chrysler might start the whisper campaign right. and, and yeah. things like that. And it's, it's, it's insane to think about that. This was not even that long ago where this was happening. Um, so where did the, the inspiration for this article come about? Were you just doing some other research and you came across this archive? Right. Or- uh, yeah. I, um, I co-wrote a book with Stefan Shemansky about sports in Detroit city of champions um, and so it's a collection of um, of stories about famous athletes or athletic events and as to how they intersect with the history of Detroit. And, of course, Joe Lewis, obviously Detroit's um, most famous athlete. I mean, I guess Ty Cobb, but, um, yeah. And so we actually, Joe Lewis was the one we wrote two chapters about, um, mm. The, the the only one who got two chapters and as I was but I was actually doing research on Jesse Owens time in Detroit he was kind of assistant assistant director of Negro personnel at Ford in the 40s oh wow and I was trying to find out more about that um, and they didn't have anything I mean they had a few clippings but they didn't have anything very deep on that and so I just Asked the archivist, said, well, you know, do you have anything else cool about sports by chance? And he's like, oh, well, I do have a file of these letters about Joe Lewis, right? So he was just uh, sitting on these. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they were just there. They, I mean, they were they were archived, they were indexed, right? Anybody could have found them. Nobody did, and I don't know why. I mean, I guess I I was lucky, but it's also very strange to me that. There have been a lot of books written about Joe Lewis, right? That that file never surfaced before, and I don't know why that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Sam Root, the man is Sam Root. I'm very grateful to him, and um, 
yeah so it's just like oh can you pdf it over and he said sure he hadn't told me anything about it right and then i get, I get this collection of letters it's like are you kidding you know and so i thought it was a big story so i talk about it in the book a little bit but um i also wanted to have a freestanding piece mm -hmm. because I, I think it's just such an amazing story because i mean if you if you just google joe lewis now right you will still find a lot of people saying oh joe lewis the first um black athlete accepted by all of america and that is true to a very small extent and it was mostly true during the war, war. but the moment the war is over and the moment there's actually the specter of some actual civil rights legislation on the horizon right it's all gone I mean, he still yeah. has tons of friends in the entertainment industry. Right? Sinatra threw him at a party in the 70s. Everybody was there. Absolutely everybody, right? But somebody like a car dealer in Louisiana, right? He's like, he doesn't care that Joe Lewis beat Max Schmeling in 38, right? And it's just a black dude. Um, yeah. It's human nature, right? It's if in a war, it's easy to unite against a common enemy and the differences become a little blurred. And then, of course, as soon as the war over, the war is over, as you mentioned, you're back to the status quo and no, you start absolutely. looking absolutely. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they're also just assholes, right? I mean, car dealers <laughs> very famously. <laughs> that's, I think that's the consensus opinion for the most part. It, it, it does seem to be, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and so, there, are, there are data on their politics, right? Was, yeah. Um, so another thing that I, I saw in, in doing yeah. some, some research was about, um, so after this, you know, whole Ford thing does not work out. Mm -hmm. He's not able to yeah. find another revenue stream. Um, he continues yeah. fighting. And then uh, uh, the IRS was almost weaponized uh, against him. Can you absolutely. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he owed half a million dollars in taxes, right, after the war. And that included money, I mean, taxes on money he had actually donated to the Navy Relief Fund. Um, so it is, I mean, the deduction, I don't know enough about taxation history to lean myself very far out of the window. Um, it's, it seems exactly like you say, right, that he was hounded by the IRS and that this might have quite a bit to do with his civil rights engagement, right? I mean, we know how the FBI hounded MLK, right? Um, so it's, it's federal agencies were definitely not above that kind of thing right yeah and he had i mean he had made so much money but he had also spent so much money <laughs> he would like buy 200 suits at a time i mean he really really loved having money he was so generous right he bought everybody everything they wanted and um yeah i don't think he he had a good bookkeeper um but yeah he was uh he was then also bankrupted right i think that's fair to say um, so he didn't have a choice but to keep boxing was the only way to get some more money. But I mean, 12 years as heavyweight champion is a long time, but your, your body at some point can't handle it. So Marciano took him out in, in 51 and apparently he was really felt quite terrible about it. <laughs> but, um, but what can you do, right? Um, yeah, and yeah, then he yeah. uh, things went downhill for quite a while. Um, the drugs, there's some, some psychological problems. Um, 
I don't think he was ever poor because I mean he was he remained so beloved. It was I think one of his wives or ex wives said if Joe Lewis put an advertisement in the paper saying please send me a dollar, he'd have a million dollars by return mail. And that's probably true. Um and so he in the end he worked in Vegas as a greeter at Caesar's Palace and that sounds horrible, but it's also possible that he enjoyed it. Um yeah, if he was that that type of personable and and person that I, I you know seems like a yeah, a lot of glamorous, a lot of famous people around. But I don't I don't know about that, right? He was not doing well health wise, and uh, yeah, he died like decades before Mark Schmeling died. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's still the kicker, right? That Joe Lewis cannot sell Fords, but Mark Schmeling gets the Coca Cola franchise in Northern Germany. That is just amazing. That was the the most ironic twist in in the article. Yeah. Is this 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 man that's held up as this figurehead of fascism and Nazism, and uh, you know, and you said it's the I think it's the second most or most iconic. To me, it's probably the most iconic American I think it's brand the most now. Iconic. I think Ford is probably the second most iconic. Or, or yeah. used to be. Right? It's but, like but Levi's the up there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. and. I mean, it's probably has to do with the fact that he had to fight longer than he than he had to, and you know, we know yeah. the the yeah. effects of CTE yeah. and concussions and yeah. all that that comes with yeah. boxing. I mean, we've seen uh, Muhammad Ali and several other boxers yeah. at the end yeah. of their life. So, I mean, I think as as we wrap up here, what what do you think is is the ultimate legacy of Joe Lewis? I know you've wrote written a book, and I'm sure you've written a lot more, but just to sum it up, maybe in the context of this situation with Ford in the context of his life as a whole, what is his, his lasting legacy? I'm not sure that I believe in lasting legacies in, in some, I mean, what saddens me is that outside of Detroit, Joe Lewis is largely forgotten. Um, even though he was such a, such an absolutely central figure and such a deeply honorable man. Right. Um, okay. You have, Julius Plaza, if you come out of the train station, right, um, the the square by Madison Square Garden where the fight was, it's, um, but um, in Detroit, Julius is very present. He's still the beloved son of the city. There's a giant fist, of course, um, hanging by the river, right? There are a lot of places named after Joe Louis, Joe Louis Greenway, um, Joe Louis Pizza, Joe Louis Chicken, Joe Louis Yogurt. There's <laughs> just a bunch of those. Um, I think he's more of a case study than, than a legacy, right? Um, that mm-hmm. no matter how honorably you conduct yourself, no matter how much you put out for your country because you're being asked to, right? No matter how admired you are and what nice things people say about you for a while, in the end, you're just a black dude, right? And they will let you know. And yeah. That what's happened to Lewis is, I mean, he's obviously not alone in this, right? Jesse Owens got betrayed as well. Um, he he got screwed even harder than Joe Lewis in many ways. I mean, he had to he had to race horses on foot for entertainment. Um, so there's a way if you become if you become famous if you become honored, there seems to be a compulsion to humiliate you again, right? And uh, it's just unbelievably saddening. I mean, as you can tell from the way I, I'm I'm just in love with Joe Lewis, right? I think very highly of the man. Um, I think he mm-hmm. should not. Be one thing I do want to write about 
the fact that there is no single motion picture about Joe Lewis. There's one about Jesse Owen. There are like a dozen about Ali. Yeah. And it would make a fantastic film. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, visually, politically, historically, right? I mean, there's so much in Joe Lewis' life that is, I think, eminently filmable. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a shame that hasn't happened. One thing I, I want is I want Ford to name a plant after him. That's something they can do right away. You don't need to film a they movie for that. that. Right away, exactly. I just don't have the pull. I, I used to know the CEO of Ford, but he's he's no longer there. So, um, yeah, I, I wish I knew somebody who had enough enough pull to start a campaign. Um, because Jill Lewis' first job was at Ford, right? He used to work for them. Yeah, yeah. And, and they constantly used that in their PR, right? And then they say, no, you can't sell our cars, so you can build them, but you can't sell them. Um, so, yeah, anyway. So sorry, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't have any inspirational last words. I think it's no, no, no. That's it's yeah. that it's totally appropriate because I mean, of course, there's a lot of triumph and inspiration that you can take from the story. But the word yeah. that you use, case study, is is very applicable here because it really is a case study in uh, a black athlete being used and exploited for yeah. you know his his athletic ability but anything beyond that you know anything that he can use for personal gain for financial gain we kind of put a stop to it anything that may lead to any substantial change because as you talked about with the Ford dealership that this might set a precedent quote unquote right. for other black dealership uh, dealership yeah. owners to to join yeah. Ford um anytime there anytime there's anything substantial that could benefit him and the black community that's where the line was was drawn you know financially socially so yeah Yeah. it's it's a tragedy at the end of the day um because again also like you said he is perhaps one of the more forgotten figures in boxing he doesn't get the notoriety of jack johnson or muhammad ali uh despite all that he accomplished so yeah there's a a lot to learn from from his story and his life and thank you for for writing this article uh, even myself yeah. i'm you know pretty big boxing fan but joe lewis is a name that i knew having been to detroit right. and and seeing the statue i knew he's so beloved it's similar right. to like joe frazier he's in he's in philadelphia right. he's loved there right. but yes. he's kind of forgotten otherwise he's like a secondary yeah. character to muhammad Ali. i remember so. frazier fights as a kid my parents I, I grew up in germany my parents would get us out of bed to watch those fights boxing was really yeah, people have also, I mean, part of it's just because boxing doesn't have the same status anymore that it had for decades. Um, so, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, no, that was fun to chat. Thank you, Khaled. Yeah, thank Thanks you again for writing. Thank you again for joining us and, and giving us some of your, your precious time. We truly appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you once again to Professor Silke Maria Weinick for her time today and teaching us about the life and legacy of Joe Lewis and, of course, talking about uh, the article that she recently published at thenation.com, so you can find that article there. Uh, you can find uh, Professor Weinick on Twitter at Maria, and you can find her Amazon author page at amazon.com slash author slash Silke, that's S-I-L-K-E, and of course, you can find the 4040 Vision podcast anywhere you find podcasts. So make sure to subscribe, like, and leave us a review. And you can find us on most social media platforms as well 
at 4040visionpod. Thank you guys for taking this uh, ride down memory lane and uh, down the history and the incredible, incredibly compelling history of Joe Lewis, who, as uh, Professor Weinick mentioned, is one of the more forgotten heroes of the boxing heyday during the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we thank you guys so much for your time, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.